Hi everyone, and welcome to the Women of Influence Property and Banking Podcast. I am Milena Malev, General Manager of Financial Services and Insurance at Cologic Asia Pacific. We are joined today by Changemakers, Lisa Klass, Chief Executive Officer at Cologic International, Amelia Hodge, Chief Executive Officer at Australian Property Institute, and Marie Mortimer, Managing Director at loans.com.au. I'd like to ask the question first, Amelia, as females leaders in our industry, what does International Women's Day mean to you? I just think it's a great opportunity to reflect on the collaborative efforts of both women and men over time. Uh, if you go back to the days of the suffragettes and all they went through and you, and you see the evolution of women in professional life and their personal lives, March the 8th uh, gives us a moment to reflect and a time to focus our discussions on really important matters of inclusion and diversity and equity and parity and really raise uh, the issues that surround all that encompasses a woman being, being in a career. Absolutely. Great opportunity to stop, reflect and see what we can do to move forward. Marie, what does it mean to you? It's about celebrating women who achieve so much in um, some very male-dominated industries. And I look, you know, around the room here and, you know, we all come from like, property. I come from like finance, technology. It's pretty safe to say that all those in- industries, we're, we're underrepresented still. And now, you know, I'm a mum. I've got a five-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. And like most parents, I've come to realise it's not about me anymore. I take my responsibility as my daughter's role model quite seriously. And I think my focus in recent years has been about younger girls and young women looking to start out in an industry and they're not sure how to do it. They don't have the confidence to do it. You know, there's so many opportunities in, you know, banking and technology. So we should be encouraging our daughters to be confident to start a career. And it's not just about better career opportunities, but it's about the long-term effect parity will have through all levels of organizations. And parity and diversity starts at the beginning in my eyes. So as women leaders, we need to be very visible as a part of that cause. Lisa, what, what's your views on that? I, I look forward to it. I always see a prism of women's contribution that I wasn't aware of before. Uh, So it's, you know, educative, informative, but also celebratory. There's no doubt about it. 2020 was a very challenging year for all of us. And many of us are still grappling with the new norm and uh, all the changes that continue to come with it. The theme of 2021 International Women's Day is choose to challenge. What does that phrase mean to you, Ari? For me, um, 2020 was about technology and I know that um, that caused a lot of challenges with everybody. So, um, you know, we saw massive amounts of change as, you know, all of us through all facets of our life um, move from the physical to the digital. With COVID, a lot of doors did close, but a lot has emerged and a lot of opportunity has emerged. That's what we need to to embrace, like em- for, embrace the challenge of change. So, you know, before COVID, we um, we talked a lot about flexible working arrangements. What happened last year is we actually saw it get implemented in real time. And it's presented an opportunity for many working families. And I think it's an amazing shift in, in society. You know, at Learns.com, we're starting trying to fill roles at the moment. And geography doesn't matter anymore. You know, with some roles, 8.30 to 5 p.m., it doesn't matter anymore. Five days a week doesn't matter anymore. It's opened us up to you know, a new flexible workforce. So I think we've chosen to challenge the status quo 
And I think it'll work for everybody's advantage in the future when we talk about diversity and flexible working arrangements. I love your comment then, Mari, on flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was flexibility on steroids. Yeah, especially with especially kids at home. Well, yes, I, I take my hat off to you. Fortunately, I spent COVID on my own in a small apartment in Potts Point. I found it challenging, but in a in a way that was really rich with learnings, I think, both personally and professionally. I often joke with people that I had 10 years executive experience in 10 months last year. I think a humanness uh, descended upon all of us as we all sat in Zoom meetings with, you know, children screaming in the background or in our pyjamas or, you know, working very long hours just thinking, I know there's a way through here, but we need to collaborate I like choose the challenge from the broader perspective because I think none of us live in a bubble, um, whether our personal lives or professional lives or whether we work two days a week or five days a week or or what sector we work in. I think um, the choose to challenge provides us an opportunity to have those deep conversations. Lisa? Choose to challenge um, for me uh, as a theme um, is very malleable. It has uh, lots of applications. You know, in spite of what we've all said uh, about celebration, we will call that out as one of the um, uh, emerging, you know, the perennial themes of International Women's Day. But in spite of that, uh, we all know there's still significant disparity and inequity and something I know the women in this podcast, uh, when they're mentoring um, uh, other women, uh, will be advising is that encouraging and, and putting in the right uh, support mechanisms and giving um, you know positioning opportunities so that women uh, in whatever endeavour they choose will challenge, will take a risk, will stick their neck out. So I, I think it's a you know it's just a very flexible theme or purpose that uh, has been chosen for uh, 2021. Uh, uh, Let's hope it's not another year like no other. When I look back at my career, I joined banking more than 20 years ago. I loved numbers. I was very good in financial modeling. So I decided to go and work for a bank. Luckily, throughout these years, I discovered that banking is much more than just numbers. It's about the deeper mission and purpose of helping people to build better lives, help businesses to prosper and grow. Lisa, I know you had a very successful career as a barrister prior to joining financial services industry. Tell us what first drew you to pursue a career in banking and how you've seen the conversations and behaviors and mindsets have changed over time. I would love to sit back and say that uh, the career's all been part of a grand plan, but uh, it's been a combination of serendipity and opportunities. One of the shifts in my career, uh, the, the barrister to uh, wealth management was uh, actually uh, uh, something in my personal life which uh, forced me to um, choose another course. The shift from wealth to banking was a very deliberate one. Um, and what drew me uh, to to the banking industry was actually an intellectual uh, a curiosity. I had been interacting with the banking division of a financial conglomerate and it just, in, from a uh, intellectual pursuit, it just fascinated me because it's never black and white, there's never a absolutely perfect answer. So you're constantly um, balancing stakeholder interests and in banking, 
you've got shareholders, you've got customers, you've got people. Um, and within those three stakeholders, you've got uh, experience, you've got pricing, you've got channel, you've got risk management, you've got balance sheet management, you've got ROI, you've got return on equity. So you've got this um, collision of all these different um, must-haves and you have to uh, navigate your way uh, through stakeholders and competing interests to um, divine um, an optimal outcome that is sustainable. So I like the enduring part. From an intellectual perspective, that's what drew me to banking. But I also um, personally, you know, have uh, built a large part of my wealth. I'm no Jeff Bezos or um, Elon Musk, I can tell you. It has been through the auspices of, uh, you know, banking and wealth through property investment. So, uh, and, and you know, I'm a, uh, some of you know me quite well, I'm a design junkie. I like everything about uh, the physical, uh, the look and feel of the physical world. So a home for me is an extension of personal expression. I love the fact that, um, you know, you didn't have this, shiny laminated career plan on it on your wall no, I had David Bowie uh, on my wall I think uh, yeah. I think I had Culture Club and Duran Duran <laughs> I started studying law when we still had five-year articles so you would st- work full-time and study part-time and you know I hate to think about the things I was asked to do in those days buying perfume for uh, you know the lawyer's wives for Christmas and uh, <laughs> driving them home from from lunches and collecting dry cleaning and not making sure I didn't buy the same perfume for their mistresses. It's a completely different world. But I think I think for me the the complexity of property, uh, you know, property and construction law and and looking at, you know, all of the, like Lisa was saying, all the bits that kind of need to come together to achieve an outcome, I guess from from that sort of legal background, I then moved into um, you know, regulatory frameworks around what's the right framework for a development approval on both a local government perspective and a, and a state government perspective. And, you know, when we need to balance you know, the, the need for local councils to obtain their infrastructure charges, developers to, to, to build a wonderful community and contribute to the community and state government to collect their stamp duties and all those other revenues. And I think for me, I've enjoyed the tribe that I've gathered along the way as well well in the property profession and so many infrastructure projects that I worked on I actually had valuers in my team funnily enough it sort of comes full circle in some ways. Marie you've been absolutely instrumental in changing the way Australians actually apply for home loans today you've challenged the industry and moved consumers away from traditional ways of banking what can you share with us in terms of three things that most excite you about the future? Yeah well it's hard to to limit it to three um yeah, I suppose in the last 10 years, I've seen so much happen um, running an online lender and, and kind of dealing with customers in that in that digital world. So I think firstly, uh, what's coming, like I'm pretty excited and probably doesn't sound very exciting. I'm excited about um, the government's support for di- digital innovation. Um, then next, looking at, you know, open banking and what's coming there and just seeing how fintech can be applied to different industries as we grow. So I'm on the board of Fintech Australia and Fintech Queensland, um, and I can see 
um, even through loans.com.au, you can see how quickly um, the technology side of banking and finance is going to change in the next few years and how quickly things are moving in this post-Royal Commission, post-COVID world. So in the finance and technology space, we have a government that's pushing through a lot of change to improve the competitive landscape in Australia when it comes to the Australian financial services sector. So, you know, there's a focus on rebuilding the economy in a post-COVID world. And a lot of industries, now that they're moving online, growth has to be achieved through digital innovation. You know, I, you know we have a Prime Minister, um, Scott Morrison, who's very passionate about fintech. Uh, we have our own fintech minister, um, you know, Senator Hume, you know, there's a government select committee at the moment run by Senator Bragg, who's handed down like 30 recommendations and they're identifying ways that Australia can improve our, our technology um, sector and develop the industry. So, you know, innovative technology is going to be critical to the success um, of many industries in Australia. And I think the government's starting to, to look at ways and real ways to unblock things pretty quickly. Um, with this in mind, particularly in the banking and finance sector, um, you know, what's coming for all Australians is open banking and, you know, the consumer data, right? It's legislation that basically says that the data that a bank holds on you is your data. You own that data. You have the right to share that data with another financial institution. So in the example of my space in a home loan, you'll basically be able to click to switch lenders almost instantly. And you imagine how that's going to impact the point of sale for a property transaction and you know how quickly the housing market's going to start moving with this concept of like frictionless credit and you know banking competition and then I look at finance and technology in general and um, fintech is probably not understood as as widely um, as it could be it's assumed that the only purpose of a fintech is to help a big incumbent bank and um, get them to innovate and it's, it's so much more than that. Um, it's an application we can use across so many industries as they go digital and as they go online. Like we've got payments technology now I've seen that can help real estate agents collect rent for the, like the owners in a, in a timely manner. So it's like reducing the costs of, um, of that payment collection and reducing the likelihood of like rental default. And there's so many other, you know, I could keep going on forever. So many other um, innovative ac applications to to finance and technology, um, and it can help industries like ag tech, you know, tourism, real estate. They can all move online. So it's pretty, it's a pretty exciting time um, to be alive as digital integrate like innovation progresses. And you know, I can see that this is going to be a massive benefit to our economy going forward. Holistically, uh, you know, there's there's certainly been a tectonic shift in place to crack what's been a very um, asymmetrical relationship between customers and suppliers or banks. You know, that shift, as we all know, has been driven by, um, you know, customer awareness and customer demand and uh, together with now um, regulatory tailwind coming in behind, you know, Marie mentioned open banking or uh, access to data. They're just two examples of many. It ultimately um, enables uh, individuals and businesses, I guess, to do 
three things um, better and that's either grow, manage their risk or be more efficient or more productive. And I know those three uh, tenants, if you like, are uh, pretty core principles at core logic. What we're seeing is a, a really intelligent coming together of those uh, three different aspects, uh, which, you know, ten, five or ten years ago were really were so rudimentary. Gone soon will be the days of uh, a, a lender just looking at um, the value of a property, although that remains absolutely supreme, that that... Uh, that uh, washes its face. Um, but, uh, you know, I know we're looking at, uh, we're not looking at, uh, we've got uh, the suites of climate change, risk, hazard data. So building around that um, nucleus of uh, the value of a property or as an individual or as a portfolio. We know that diverse companies are becoming more innovative and productive and these progressive companies are making explicit commitments in the and supporting women and communicating it through companies' strategic objectives and KPIs as well. So at CoLogic, we encourage and include the voices of women at the table. And uh, under Lisa Stewardship, many senior leaders are females. Our CFO is a female. I hold very senior PNL role. Uh, we lead by example. So Amelia, in Australian Property Institute, how your leaders and organization work together to ensure equal opportunities across all levels of the business? Um, I think... Uh I think the the leaders in some of the firms that that we have as members are um, are going pretty well at supporting the younger members of the profession. I think if you look at the property profession, the the gender um, gap, well, the gender statistics at university, it's around. 50-50 or even 55-45 and then you know, our YPP community is definitely almost the same metrics uh, and then with, there's very few women in that sort of 30 to 40 um, year old career category and the focus that I'm starting to see much more of is um, sponsoring, mentoring, um, having women involved in all sorts of, uh, I guess, diverse project teams within firms and getting more women into a voice and into positions of, uh, of um, influence where they, they can demonstrate a voice. I think I'm seeing much more of that than I've ever seen, which is a great, great um, lead indicator, I guess, to the, to the future. Well, leaders expected to be innovative, agile, react to disruptive technology very quickly, embrace change every day. I mean, Maria, um, your business is um, disrupted the whole industry and uh, disruption is part of uh, competitive advantage. So what is the secret recipe? What are the two to three non-intuitive traits that you can uh, recommend that we should all be aware of? More engagement needs to be done between industry and educators. So, you know, at loans.com.au, we're engaging with local universities um, with regards to their curriculum, the intern programs, how we can get more involved with their mentorship project programs. So there's no shortage of talent in our universities. Um, but we need to make sure that the curriculum is filling a need for business too. And you can't have a diverse workforce without a sense of diversity within the within the student body, within an education system. So I think that's where business leaders need to engage um, future talent early. So there are real, you know, career outcomes. But then, you know, I look at look at loans.com.au and look what we do there. And we really actively encourage um, young women to apply for, for team leader roles and that sets them up for 
for growth. So I think that comes down a lot to, to company culture as well. And, you know, I'm talking about the beginning. Um, I'm talking about the team leader role because you can't be CEO without being a team leader first. Um, so, you know, diversity targets should never just be set at a board level. And I think this is something um, one of the McKinsey reports um, recently kind of went into more detail about, and, you know, it needs to start at the beginning because it will filter down throughout an entire organisation. So it's about not setting women up for, to fail. It's to, to give them more confidence to succeed. And, you know, Lisa touched on it before. It's all, it's all about confidence building. And I think that's, that's the most important thing um, that, that we look at, taking the risk to, to taking that first role that gets you into the next role. I've got a daughter and a son and I look at the difference between between them, like my little girl will try and colour between the lines and my son will just slap it down and get on with it and and move on. And, you know, that probably it starts <laughs> starts pretty early um, with regards to mindset. There's actually a really good book um, called, I don't know if you guys have read it, it's called The Confidence Code. It's by um, Kitty Kay and Claire Shipman. And it's just about how we can bring out our girls to be more confident. And they've actually written a second version of the confidence code for girls and it's aimed at teenagers. So, yeah, it's all about, yeah, taking risks to, to pursue your dreams, which is important. Isn't confidence just the key? I do uh, mentoring and coaching of young, some young executives and in, with another hat. And, um, you know, some of the young women come to me and say, oh, I'm thinking about looking at this role. Here's the position description. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. The young blokes come along and say, oh, my goodness, I can do all of this and I'm going to ask for more money. And I think it's bridging that gap, eh, that confidence gap that, that, truly we'll start to see more and more people come through and you're absolutely right um, starting in the those lower end roles in hierarchical organizations i think is the place to start Amelia, last year uh, the changes we've gone through um it's been difficult for everyone but it was enormous challenge to the industry and australian property institute as well to keep up with all the changes and be able to stay focused and uh succeed what was uh what would you share with us as the, your key traits to stay agile and successful in this environment? Just be human. I think, I think if we go back to last year, oh, gosh. Um, I think the key trait, it always comes down to communication and collaboration. I think without that, you can disagree. But I always say to people, if you can disagree well, that's the key to moving things forward and achieving, particularly as the sector faced so many challenges. Um, you know, I was having a joke with our corporate affairs manager earlier running around Canberra and, you know, he said, oh, my gosh, I've still got PTSD from being jumped from department department to department to work out whether valuers were capital E essential or small E essential and, you know, the Department of Health, the Prime Minister, the, the Premier, whatever state we were in or federally, it was just being bounced around and I think that the resilience, being able to say, I just need some time out. Oh, women in business in particular can draw inspiration from many female role models in senior positions, particularly those with impressive career success in the industries. I guess what advice would you give to young women looking to begin a career in the property or finance profession? I think there's something about um, when you're in an organisation and um, is understanding what's valued in that organisation. It's like when you deal with customers, understanding what's valued. We know a lot of um, men and women, um, probably particularly women who flock to certain roles or um, professions or functions that 
of, you know, everything's valued if you're on the payroll, but some are valued more than others. It's really critical, um, you know, to a young person, I'd say, understand the strategy. You know, if the CEO or the executives are accessible and approachable, go and have a chat with them and ask them what keeps them awake at night, what are they, you know, what would they consider to be a significant achievement? And then understanding your link to the outcome of that desire. Um, uh, I have given out so many tissues in my career to women who are brilliant at what they're doing, but they're in that dark corner. They're, they're not, or what they're doing to be brutal is not really valued by the pointy end of the organisation. So really important to understand that um, and then make sure you, you gravitate like a moth to the light, that you are in a role that has uh, that is and is visibly contrib- visibly uh, contributing to the furtherance of that objective, and you know, uh, you know, the other um, speakers here have touched on that. And if you find that you have a particular uh, strength or secret source around, um, you know, driving the pursuit of that cherished uh, organisational strategic ideal, is develop it amplify it, um, uh, you know, project it, make sure that those around you know that you have this um, distinctive um, expertise. That, that's what I, I think people, you know, they say you should spend 90% of your time planning before you execute, but I think a lot of women get in, they do great, great, great jobs and they run really fast down the road, but they're on the wrong road. So yeah, I think it's just worth um, reflecting very deeply about uh, what it is that's important in your organisation. Oh, look, I echo everything that's been said, um, but I'll just, uh, rather than repeat it, but I'll just reflect on when I joined the Australian Property Institute and we wanted to celebrate women in property in our profession and we named the award. We did some investigation and found out, I said, well, who was our first female member? Let's name it after her. And her name was Leslie Bennett and she became a member of the API in 1962. And we, we stalked her. Her. We found out she lives in Stall, Victoria, and being a Queenslander originally, I said, well, that can't be very far. I'll drive there and from Melbourne and find her and interview her. And, you know, well into her 80s, I asked her this question and she looked at me and she looked into the camera and she said, just go for it. And I thought that summarises it perfectly, you know, and uh, I think back then listening to her story, you know, she had to just go for it in the 60s in this profession. I cannot imagine um, all of the challenges that she came up against. So I think that probably summarises everything that Lisa and Marie have, have said. What a fascinating discussion. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure spending time with you and uh, wishing you all happy International Women's Day.